0: How are we doing this morning? Are we doing good? You almost convinced me. Let's do it this way. How many of y'all are in love with Jesus today? Let me hear you say Shop. Yeah, here we go. Hey everybody joining online. Thank you again for tuning in. So glad to have you with us. Remember to take a second and like and share the live stream to help get that message out there. I know we say that a lot, but it is so important to us that we reach as many people as we possibly can with every opportunity that we have. So we thank you so much for For sharing the live stream and helping us get the word out there. Um, Wow, guys, we're only a couple of weeks away from Easter. Resurrection Sunday. So close to that, so close. I'm so excited. Um, Your staff is already working like crazy in preparation, getting ready for everything that's going to happen that day. How many of y'all like donuts? Yeah, we decided, you know what? It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. We should help some people make that transition from the bed into service, like Jesus transitioned from, from, from death to life. So we're gonna have lots of coffee out there and we're gonna have a donut wall. You heard me right, a donut wall. So you can be all, all hyped up. See, there's some donut lovers out there. Um, all the former cops in the house are going, yeah, donuts, love it. Um, but uh, it's going to be great. We've got a lot of stuff in store. The kids are working hard. It's going to be a children's choir, and they're going to tear it up Easter Sunday, not just because they're kids and they tear stuff up because they're kids, but they're going to do a great job. The uh, Worship team's working hard. It's going to be a great Sunday to be in church. It's going to be a great time to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. It's going to be a great time to invite some people with you. Oh, that almost sounded like a church that was in love with Jesus. It's going to be a great Sunday to invite some people to come to church with you. It's going to be a great day. Um, We're believing for God to do some powerful stuff. And let me plug this, too, before we get too far into the service. Rachel talked about this new series that we've got coming up in a few weeks. It's called Asking for a Friend. And what we're asking you to do is this. to On the back of this card just right now, any question that you might have or any topic that you might want to hear preached on. This is really cool because it's one of the very few times in like, in a church uh, cycle where you can actually help direct and form a sermon series. Anything that you wanna hear talked about, nothing's taboo. Nothing is taboo, any topic, any issue, any question that you have, we wanna, we're going to uh, put together a series based on what you guys are wanting to learn about and know about and I think that's really cool. So on the back of this card, uh, just write whatever it is, and you can leave it in your seat. We'll pick it up after the service. We want to get as many of these questions and topics in ahead of time as we can so that we've got time to actually prepare for the series. So you're helping us out a ton by doing that and not waiting until the last minute. You guys online, uh, hey, drop us a message and uh, let us know if you've got a question. Let us know if you've got a topic you'd like to hear addressed. Uh, we'll take that. We'll throw it in the pot, and we're going to have some really good fun with this series that's coming up. Speaking of series, we're in a series right now called the Last 24. We're looking at the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Jeremy did a great job getting us going. Didn't he do a great job last week bringing the word? He did a great job. <clears throat> it's always nice as a pastor to know that you can go away and not have to worry about what's going to be said from the pulpit. And Jeremy's a crazy guy, but he's, he preaches with integrity. And uh, I love that I can just go away and know that he's going to do a great job. We're going to uh, continue that, though, and look at uh, the next set of events in the life of Jesus. The last 24 hours. If you'd stop and think about what you would do if you knew you only had 24 hours left to live. If you got the phone call from the doctor... And got the prognosis, a 24 hours tops to live. That's what Jesus was looking at. Not that he heard from a doctor, but he knew that the clock was ticking. And he knew that he was limited, not in days, but in hours, in minutes, and in seconds. And everything that he said and did was going to matter because it's the last chance he was going to have to say those things. It's the last opportunity he was going to have to do those things. And when he met with the disciples in the upper room and they had that final Passover, that was the last time they were all going to be together. Yeah. Judas was fixing to leave and, and go and betray him. It's the last time they were going to be together as a family and as a group. It's the last time he was going to be able to speak to them. It was, it was a season of last for Jesus. And like you and like me in those last hours, what Jesus did was powerful because he wanted to make the time that he had count the most. And there's a deeper implication going on with that, though, because he wanted to make the last few hours that he had on this earth have powerful spiritual significance, not just in what he was doing, but in how it would impact us. And so I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles or your tablets, whatever you've got to read on these days. If you didn't bring anything, don't worry about it. we got you covered. Uh, The scriptures will be up on the screen for you. We're going to look at Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 39. Jesus is leaving the upper room with the disciples that remain. Judas has gone out to betray him. It says, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus was in Jerusalem. He left this upper room setting. He went on a walk to the Mount of Olives, which wasn't very far, brought Uh, a little map picture to show you approximately where the Mount of Olives would have been in comparison to where Jerusalem was. It was about a two-mile walk, give or take, from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. And when you go to the Mount of Olives, you're going to see a lot of this stuff. I brought these pictures to kind of show you so you could kind of put, you know, what looks like to the stuff we're talking about today. So go ahead and put the picture up of what would be The Garden of Gethsemane, around the the base of the Mount of Olives, it's going to look something like this. You're going to see olive trees, small bushes, prettied up to look like this. This was the setting that Jesus was walking to. It's funny, he says that Jesus was going to the Mount of Olives as usual. Jesus often went there to pray. This was going to be the last time that Jesus was going to make this walk. This was going to be the last time that Jesus would be praying in this setting. And you think about this. Like Jesus has such an epic life. There is nobody in history that stands out like Jesus stands out. You know, Even from an early age, Jesus at roughly the age of 12, he was, he was stumping The greatest scholars of his day, they were amazed by the wisdom and the knowledge that he had of of the word of God. And they didn't really know the whole picture because he didn't just have knowledge of the word of God. He was the very word of God incarnate, speaking to them out of himself. So it's real powerful when you think about it. Jesus was a guy who lived a powerful life used by God. He raised the dead. Jesus prayed over blind people, and their eyes opened up, and they were able to see. Deaf ears were opened. Lame people got up and walked away. Jesus was a walking miracle worker, the Son of God, 100% God and 100% man. You know, and then in his life, he did so many powerful things, he, even turning water into wine. I know that might get some of y'all excited to know that Jesus would turn water into wine. I know it aggravates the Baptists when we talk about that stuff, but Jesus was... A guy that turned water into wine. Jesus was a guy that hung out with sinners. Aren't you glad that your sin doesn't intimidate Jesus? Boy, he'll sit down right in the middle of it and he'll bring about the change in each heart one at a time that he wants to see. Jesus had an impactful life while he was on this earth. Jesus was such a, he he did so much. People were pushing through crowds to just to make contact with the hem of his garment so that they could be healed. Friends were climbing up on top of roofs, ripping holes in roofs and letting people down so that they could be in the presence of Jesus and be healed. He did so many powerful things. He cast out demons, he, he took on the Pharisees, he, he did all these amazing things with his life and now he comes to the point of in, in the garden of Gethsemane where all of that stuff was awesome. He fulfilled all the prophecies about him up until that point, And it was awesome. But none of it mattered if he didn't get this part right. This is a powerful moment in the life of Jesus. This is a powerful moment in our lives, too, because if Jesus flunks this test, we're, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Because if Jesus doesn't have victory in the Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't go to the cross he doesn't go to the cross our sin isn't paid for we're in trouble so jesus goes to this place a powerful moment in his life about to make the most important decision in all of eternity up until that point this is a big moment a big moment you know decisions made in critical moments determine destinies Decisions made in critical moments determine destinies. Not just in the life of Jesus, but in our life too. You know, I was thinking when I was praying and preparing for the message, you know, I, I was in my early 20s when I was kind of praying and getting serious about my calling to the ministry and praying about where I wanted to go to get training and, and schooling and all of that stuff. And <clears throat> there were some great schools that looked great on paper but none of them really felt right to me, and I could have picked any of them, and everyone would have said, oh, "That's a great school. That's going to be awesome that you go there." And I would have got a great education, and I probably would have been equipped very well at those places. But it wasn't where God wanted me to go. So I prayed and prayed and prayed, and man, I landed on a ministry training school in Dallas, Texas. In Dallas, Texas. It, to me, at that time, it might as well have been on the other side of the world. But I knew God wanted me to go there. So I made the decision to go somewhere that was uncomfortable for me, where I would know absolutely no one. have no ties there at all. But i been talking about being a stranger in a foreign land. Man, they do things different in Texas. i tell you straight up. They do things different in Texas. They think they're, you know, uh, this... <laughs> We'll be praying for the Dallas Cowgirls. They can't do everything right in Texas. But uh, so I went out there in obedience to what God was putting on my heart to do. I had no idea that I was going to meet my wife out there. I stopped stop and thought about it. It's like, you know, if I hadn't listened to God and I'd gone to some, some other place, I'm not guaranteed to have ever crossed paths with my wife. I remember the church I was serving in in the young adults group when she walked in that first night because a friend of hers invited her to come to the service. She walked in and I was like, ooh, that right there. I I need to get to know her. She walked in. and I remember she had on this nice little business kind of suit with this cool little skirt thing going on. But she was wearing these black boots. And I was like, dang, girl. She looks good. And and, uh, I kind of felt restrained from the from the spirit to to pursue her so you know what i did i listened i know i don't always get everything right when it comes to god but i got that right and i listened and said you know what that's not why i'm here but man she looks good i didn't know what was in the cards for the future and so i served and i was playing in the worship team there and i would preach every once in a while and kelly would come to the services and she told me that one service she looked up while we were, you know, just playing in the worship and all that stuff, and she looked at me, and she saw me just playing and worshiping God. She said, God, it would be really cool if one day I could marry a man like that who has a heart to worship you the way he's worshiping you right now. Whew. Now, I know you would think her initial attraction to me would be all of this. I know, I know, but it wasn't. It was my heart to worship God. It was attractive to her. And you know the rest of the story, man, we got together and got engaged and got married and all that stuff. But it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken the time to make the right decision in a critical moment in my life. Decisions determine destinies decisions determine destinies. Decisions determine destinies. They matter the most. And Jesus was about to make one of the most critical decisions in his entire life. And I want to go through this brief little block of scripture, and I want to see what we can dig out of this and what Jesus can teach us about making correct decisions, and critical moments of our lives to keep us on track with where God is leading us. Y'all want to dive into this this morning? You guys online? Lean in and let's have some fun today. Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Look at how Jesus is in this verse of scripture. He says, the Bible says he became anguished and distressed. Anguished and distressed. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of of death jesus was going through some stuff he was processing some stuff he was feeling a lot of weight in this moment and the word that's used or we get this interpretation of anguish and distress it's a word called agonia and agonia means a contest and it means great fear and if you put them together it means to wrestle with great fear Jesus was conflicted within himself because his emotions were going crazy in this moment. And Jesus was experiencing great fear. A couple of things I want to point out because y'all are looking at me a little confused. I want to fix what's confusing you here in just a second. I know Jesus, mighty son of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah is experiencing fear. I know that doesn't sit well with your theology. I get that i'm going to break it down a little bit further here in just a little bit, but I want to point out a couple of things in this though that when Jesus was with his disciples, listen, he wasn't playing a role, and he he wasn't concerned about keeping up the image of being the chosen one of God or being. The, to have this great image of being the son of God. He wasn't putting on a front. He was open and honest about how he was feeling in the moment. And he told his disciples, hey, I, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, anguished and distressed. He was upfront and honest about where he was. You know, in times of like critical moments in life, it's, it's better to be honest than to play a role. It's better to be open than to isolate yourself and pretend like everything's okay when it's not. And I think we can look at what Jesus did here and follow his example and know that it's okay to be open and honest with a group of people that you know you can trust. Now that's important. A group of people that you know you can trust to be praying for you, lifting you up, loving you, and wanting to see God's best in your life. But Jesus was transparent here, transparent. He was conflicted with this emotion, and sometimes we have a hard time seeing Jesus this way, but you gotta remember that Jesus was one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. Okay, everybody say it. One hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. Hebrews four verse fifteen, it reads like this says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are. Think about every temptation you faced in your life. Jesus faced it too. Think about Every time the enemy puts something in front of you to try to get you to go down a path that would lead to sin, Jesus faced it too. And that includes the temptation to let emotions dominate and lead your life. Jesus faced the fear just like we face the fear. Jesus felt overwhelmed in this moment, just like sometimes we feel overwhelmed in the moment. It, though, the, the deciding factor, though, isn't how you feel. It's what you choose to do in spite of how you feel. Okay. This passage of Scripture says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. See, it's one, like, it's one thing for me to have sympathy for you because you're going through something. I feel sorry for you. Sympathy means I, I feel for you. I feel sorry for what you're going through. My heart goes out to you. But empathy means I understand what you're going through because I've walked it in my life personally. I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted in every way, to face every emotion, to face every every opportunity to step out of God's will. The Bible says he didn't sin, though. He chose to make the right decisions. And I guess a, a bigger point that we can pull out of this when it comes to making decisions in critical times in your life is that you never let emotions make your decisions. You never let emotions make your decisions. Jesus was experiencing fear. He was overwhelmed in the moment, but he did not let that affect his decision-making process. Never let your emotions dominate your life and affect the decision-making process because your emotions will lie to you. Your emotions will put you in a place that you don't want to go. Your emotions don't have the ability to think through step A, B, and C. They only know what they feel right now. You cannot let your emotions dominate your life. How many of you have ever made a bad decision in your life because you went on your emotions instead of backing up? Yeah, hands are going up. Me too. Two hands and a foot, right? Man, yeah, emotions will get you in trouble. But in critical moments when the decisions matter, you never let emotions make your decisions for you. Look what Jesus does in Matthew 26, verse 39. Feeling all of this stuff, it says he went on, a little further, and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Feeling overwhelmed with his emotions all over the place, Jesus did what we all should do. He went to his Father in prayer. Look, prayer should be our first option, not our last resort especially in making decisions that matter in those critical moments of life, listen, prayer should be your first option, not your last resort. Because when you don't bathe the decision in prayer, or when you don't bathe the circumstance in prayer, at best, listen to me now, you are limiting yourself to what you can only do in your own strength. That's good. But when you pray, man, the doors of heaven are open. The doors of possibility are open. Miracles happen when we pray. Walls come down when we pray. Opportunities appear when we pray. Bathe those critical times of decisions in prayer, in prayer. Why, Josh? Why is it so important? Because it is impossible to be in the will of God if you are not in the presence of God. And if you don't take time to get in the presence of God and let him put you in check and speak to you and let you know what steps to take, you're you're setting yourself up for a bad day. Look back on all those wrong decisions that you made because you made them on emotion. Look back on your life and the decisions that you tried to make on your own, using your own reason and intellect and all of that stuff, and, and, and be honest with me. Do you have the best track record of making great decisions for yourself in life? Probably not. I know I don't outside of God. But when you're moving in step with the leading of the Holy Spirit, one step at a time, one day at a time, checking yourself in presence. See, a, a lot of times we get this message like, Prayer moves the hand of God, but something happens in prayer that we don't really think about. When we pray, it's not so much that we're changing what God's going to do. God does more in changing our perspective and our desires, and He lines us up with His will instead of us changing His will for our lives. Jesus goes straight to the closet of prayer, and He's honest here. Look at how He's praying. This is another. Jesus was honest in His prayer. He didn't come to his father and say, oh, father, I come again before you in your presence as your holy son in front of these that you've given me to serve. And I ask you to change your mind about what I'm about to have to go through. And he says, "Uh, hey, dad, if it's possible, please let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. He was 100% honest in his prayer. He said, Dad, I don't want to go through with this if I don't have to. But Why was he freaking out? Why was Jesus conflicted in fear? Why was Jesus having to put himself in check? Why was he having to pray the kind of prayer that he was praying here, saying, God, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me because he knew what was fixing to happen to him. Okay, take Jesus out of the pages of the Bible and put him in real world today, all right? Now, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He knew in less than 24 hours, he was gonna stand trial and be found guilty for something that he didn't commit. He knew they were gonna let a murderer go free and he was gonna be sentenced to death. Jesus knew. Jesus said, we forget this now. 100% God, 100% man. And while he was limited in the flesh and experiencing these emotions, he was still the omniscient, all-powerful, eternal living God at the same time. And he knew the Roman guards were going to rip the beard out of his face. He knew they were going to take a crown of thorns about two to three inches, the thorns long, and shove it down on his head. He knew he was going to be beaten with rods. He knew the guards were going to beat him with their fists. He knew that he was going to get <clears throat> 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. You know what that is, right? It was a whip that the Roman guards used, but it gets its name, cat of nine tails, because they had nine thongs that would come out on the end of it. And in each one, they would have chips of bone or glass or pottery stone metal so that when the whip was out those nine strands would hit the person and the stone and the metal would bite into the flesh and when they pulled it out it would rip out whatever it had gotten a hold of he knew he knew that the meat in the flesh was gonna be ripped off of his back, he knew that his organs in the back and probably his intestines were gonna be exposed. He knew that the tendons and and then the bone in his legs was gonna be exposed because they were going to rip him to shreds. And then he knew he was gonna be crucified. He knew that was what was coming. I think I might've been a little afraid too I think I might have had a little bit of pause and said, you know what? Whew. Dad, I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. If there is any way that this can be done without me having to go through what I'm fixing to have to go through. Come on, if there's anything, if there's anything that can keep me from having to be shred. I mean, beaten beyond recognition as a man, if there's anything that can keep me from having to have those spikes driven through my hands and my feet, if there's anything else, if there's any... He was having a very real and raw moment as he was processing through all of this stuff. And he was letting his father have it all in this time of prayer. Prayer should be our first option and not our last resort because... If we don't go into the closet of prayer, our emotions will dominate our decisions. If we don't go into the closet of prayer, our own intellect or our own what we think is best in the moment will dominate our decision-making process. It has to be bathed in prayer so that we can come into alignment with the will of God in the presence of God. You know, Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, there's destruction and death. So Jesus knew where he had to go. Matthew 26, we're going to keep reading. In verse 40, it says, Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. Yay, team. He found them all asleep. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And I was reading this, and I'm like, Why did Jesus call out Peter? All the disciples were asleep. Why did he single out Peter? You want to know why? Because Peter was the one talking the most smack beforehand. Peter was the one talking the big game. Lord, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm going to follow you to the end. I'm this. I'm going to do this. He was always making this big boast and talking this big game. And Jesus says, hey, big talker. Hey, Mr. Big Pants. Couldn't you watch with me even one? Have you ever had a season of time that you went through where you were just going through it and life was pressing in on you and you were having to make some major decisions in your life and you looked to the people that you thought you could count on, that the people that talked the most stuff and said that they loved you the most and always promised that they would be there and they would never leave you and you were going through that and turned around in a moment when you needed them the most and they weren't there man, me too, me too. And Jesus is looking at Peter and he's like, hey, you couldn't pray with me even for one hour. And then this blows me away. In the middle of what he's experiencing, in the middle of all this pressure, in the middle of suppressing this emotion that's trying to drive him away from what his father is calling him to do, Jesus takes a moment to teach his disciples, he says, Watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. He's literally walking out what he's telling the disciples to do. He's in the middle of prayer, seeking the will of God so that he himself won't be led down a path of temptation. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, saying, Hey, while I'm walking through this, I'm going to teach you a little bit. Keep watching, pray, so that you won't give in to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left him a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And Jesus is getting a little more resolution in his prayer now. Then when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. Go team they couldn't keep their eyes open so he went away to pray for a third time saying the same things again and I think it may be in a way it's kind of fitting that Jesus found himself in a situation where he was alone praying and wrestling over this stuff in Gethsemane and the disciples just couldn't keep up with him because this was a battle that Jesus was having to fight and face on his own for so his emotions he was having to suppress, and he was the one having to come to just complete 100 percent resolution with God's will for his life in that moment. This battle was different. It was different like Jesus had cast out demons, and it was nothing because they just they shook in his presence, because they knew who he was. And Jesus destroyed religion and took it on the Pharisees and, and, and just mopped the floor with them. Jesus faced temptation from Satan himself in the desert and overcame that. But this was different because before Jesus was facing demons and he was facing Pharisees and he was facing people and he was facing Satan himself. In this situation, though, Jesus was having to wrestle and contend with himself and put himself in check in a moment. Now the biggest battle you're ever going to fight will be with yourself. Especially in moments where the decisions are critical. The biggest battle you're ever going to fight is going to be with yourself. Because there are going to come times in your life, I'm telling you right now, You guys that have lived a little bit, you know what I'm saying. There are going to be times in your life where you are going to have to contend with your will versus the will of God. And God is going to want you to go one way, and you're going to have to choose if you're going to do what you want to do or you're going to do what he wants you to do. And this whole process was about Jesus pushing back those emotions, In reaffirming his submission to the will of God in his life. Because if Jesus had had his choice, he would have been our Redeemer without having to go through all of this stuff. He was asking if there was any other way. Is there any other way? And the Father said no. This is what's powerful about submission. It's easy to go along with God. When God is leading you down an easy path and he's taking you along a route that you're good with going along with. But submission, submission means that I set aside what I want to do and I choose to put myself under the leading and control of God. I may want to do something different in my flesh, but I'm going to submit and do what God wants me to. It's not submission if we're not having to redirect our will to align it to His will. And that's where Jesus was. And Jesus prayed not once, not twice, but three times. Three times he goes to pray to get closure and to get victory over this battle in his life now this is Jesus who walked around saying I only say what I hear the Father tell me to say this is the same Jesus that says I only do what the Father tells me to do this is the Jesus that was in tune with his Father in heaven in perfect unity and he had to pray three times To get this resolution He had to pray three times To put those emotions to death Three times he had to get into the presence of his father And lay this to rest Now sometimes we think that Our walk with God is all sunshine and rainbows and and happy times, and and it's not like that, is it? No, because we live in a jacked-up world that we've got to navigate through. And Sometimes God will use those situations that we face to press in on us to bring about the change that he wants to see in our lives. James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is always more concerned about what's happening inside of us than what's happening through us. And there are times where God is going to take you down a path that's not going to be one that you're going to choose for yourself. You got to choose to submit to the will of God. You know, there are going to be times when you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel like serving on the team that you're volunteering in in church. You got to set aside your will and submit to His will for your life. Amen? There are going to be seasons where you might not want to do what God is leading you to do, and He might want you to stay away from the relationship that your emotions are telling you to dive into. Because he has a plan and a purpose for your life, and that isn't it. Trust God to have something better. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, he said, you'd have to do what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. In Colossians, it talks about how we died, and our life is not our own anymore. But we are now hidden in Christ, who is now our life. Paul was writing about this very same thing. He says, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. He talks about crucifying his flesh and putting that down so that he can carry out the will of God for his life. And in times of critical decisions, we can learn a lot from what Jesus is battling through here. I wanna go over this one more time and then I'm gonna close because I think there's some people that need some prayer this morning. Decisions in critical moments determine your destinies. That's where we started. And we said, never let emotions make your decisions. A lot of people do though. Prayer should be our first option and not our last resort during those times because prayer is the only way you're going to hear the voice of God in His direction in your life. The biggest battle you're ever gonna fight will be with yourself. Jesus was fighting a battle with Himself and His will here. And He submitted it to God. Praise God, He overcame that and submitted Himself to the will of His Father. You know that Gethsemane, it actually, it's like a Hebrew word. Gat Gethsemane is the Hebrew word. We figure Gethsemane is a lot easier to say. <laughs> so that's what we call it. It literally means oil press. Oil press. It's in a garden of olive groves. There was a press there in the garden where they would get the olive oil. Olive oil was used in pretty much everything at that time. And what they would do is they would take the olive and they would crush it with a rock and they would put them in a sack. they fill the sack up. And then they would just keep packing the rocks on top of the sack. And they would let the pressure from the weight of the rocks, press out the oil that was on the inside of the olive. This is in those moments of pressing, those critical times in your life, where the pressure is on, that you really find out what's on the inside of you. Pressing to produce the oil. And I wonder if anybody in here this morning or anybody watching online might be in a season of life where you're feeling pressed, where you're feeling the pressure, where your emotions are all over the place and you're trying to figure out which way is up because you're walking through some storms right now and you're having to make some critical decisions that are going to determine your destiny. I want to pray for you this morning. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes.